You're listening to the Wise Wife Podcast. So you want a better marriage? Well, then buckle up, buttercup. You're in the right place. Welcome to season two of the Wise Wife Podcast. Thank you to everyone who has listened, shared, and supported season one. And looking at the stats, I was shocked to see that the Wise Wife Podcast is in the top 15% of all podcasts. So thank you, thank you, thank you. As you may have seen on my Instagram, I took a sabbatical after the end of season one. In that time, my family moved to Japan for three months, and then we came back to Tennessee, moved to a bit of a smaller town south of Nashville, and I recently launched my Wise Wife mentorship programs. Uh, God has been absolutely moving in the women that I'm working with there. I just cannot wait to see all the continued growth and breakthrough in their lives, and also in yours as you listen to this podcast, because We are taking back major ground from the enemy, ground that had been lost and ground that he was trying to grow and praise God when we seek the Lord. He gives us exactly what we need when we need it. So let's dive into this episode because I am so excited to bring you guys the straight talk truth you know from season one. And I'm expecting God to give us even more this year. If you're new here, my name is Natasha Drizdell. I am a Christian marriage mentor, author, and broken marriage survivor who teaches other women how to have a fulfilling marriage, even in the most challenging circumstances or seasons. I believe it does take two to save a marriage, you and Jesus. I talk about what makes a wise wife in my book, The Wise Wife Blueprint, And each chapter covers an important wise wife attribute. But suffice it to say, a wise wife is any woman who is pursuing a God-filled marriage backed by biblical truth. Okay, wise wives buck the culture. Wise wives are not swayed by their friends and family who are quick to just tell them to, quote, move on and find someone better. Wise wives know that life is full of seasons, and sometimes the seasons are dry, long, cold, barren. But a new season is always coming. Wise wives live by truth, not the world's truth, not their feelings truth, not even the truth of the circumstances they see staring them in the face. They live by God's truth. Truth like, the Lord is a light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Psalm 27.1. Or, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, 1 Peter 5.8. Or truth like, though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident, Psalm 27.3. Truth like, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8.28. Truth like, I am certain I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord, Psalm 27, 13, 14. And the uncomfortable truth of if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 20 and 21. 
Today we're going to talk about what it really looks like to overcome evil with good. How do you do that? Especially in the face of such difficult circumstances. Some of you are in marriages that are totally and utterly broken. Some of you are on the path to a broken marriage and want to stop it. And some of you are in pretty good marriages, but want to know if there's something better available for you. Regardless of where your marriage is at, I believe God brought you here for a reason. You see, wise wives don't stick their head in the sand and ignore what's really happening. They don't fall into the trap of ignorance, the false belief that somehow things will just get better on their own. Nor do they fall into the trap of legalism and if I do A plus B, it must equal C. If I just become the best wife ever, my marriage will improve. No, wise wives learn to understand the fullness of God's grace, that God is the only one who changes hearts. Their marriage restoration is not some kind of reward for good behavior, but they also understand that they are called to battle. Wise wives understand that the journey to a better marriage begins with a journey to a better understanding of God and who he is. His character, his laws, yes, but also his grace. And what we're going to walk through today is that wise wives know how to see the true fight. So if you are new here, welcome and get ready for truth like you have not heard it before. I almost don't want to say that because it sounds like a little bit stuck up, like I somehow am so wise that I have this truth that no one else does, but it's really not that at all. It's not really about my ego and thinking I'm more wise than every other wifey podcast out there. It's about the fact that through my suffering and my obedience and my submission to God's plans for my life, he has anointed me to share this message with you. This truth that is right here in the word available to all. Truth that much of the church has turned away from, whether in an effort to not hurt, to avoid suffering, or an effort to not have to be challenged to believe in a God that does miracles, a God who can change hearts. It's us wanting to put more stock in the free will principle than the God is sovereign over all principle. So let's get real here. Your husband cheated? You cheated? Okay, loophole, divorce. Your husband left you? Oh, loophole, divorce. Your husband has an addiction, multiple addictions. Oh, loophole, divorce. Today's church is full of apathy and acceptance for one of the few things that God actually says in his word that he hates. Malachi 2, 15 to 16. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. Listen, I have been there. That painful, often lonely road of marriage breakdown when your one flesh spouse rips away from you. Malachi 2.16 actually goes on to say to divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. And I think any of us who have experienced the betrayal of our one flesh spouse understand what God means here. To make things worse, you feel like you can do nothing about it. You feel totally powerless because maybe your husband is like mine was and is adamant that they're never coming back. 
They've moved on. They love someone else now. Blah, 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 blah. Today, I'm going to share a really powerful word for you to help you see the true fight you are in. Many of us get tripped up believing what the enemy wants us to believe. He wants you to believe you're in a fight against your husband. He wants you to believe that the fight is about changing your circumstances. He wants you to believe that because you need, you see no sign of life in the natural realm, that there's no hope of anything improving or changing for the better. But the Bible tells us very clearly that we do not war against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Romans 8.6 gives us an even clearer picture of how to respond to this truth, this truth that we do not war against what we see, but we war against what we don't see. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Let's break this down. Looking at the original Greek language text, Romans 8, 6 means more literally, for the thinking of the flesh, death. The thinking of the spirit, life and peace. If you are fighting the wrong fight, you're thinking in the flesh. You're warring against the circumstances in the flesh. You're taking blows from those circumstances in the flesh. And it leads to death. Death of your hope, death of your belief, sometimes even death of one's faith. But when we are thinking of the spirit, in other words, seeing every circumstance in the spiritual realm and not the natural realm of our flesh, the Bible says it leads to life and peace. This fight you're in, it's not a fight against your husband or even your circumstances. It is a fight against the spiritual bondage and the lies that he is believing that maybe even you are believing. So let's get practical and talk about how you can make sure you're not taking the enemy's bait and fighting the wrong fight. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Your marriage has strongholds that need to be demolished. Okay, your own heart has strongholds that need to be demolished. And we do that not by waging war as the world does. Listen to me. Therapy, counseling, communicating your needs, boundaries. These are all the world's ways of dealing with marital breakdown. And while there may be nothing inherently wrong with these things, they can even be very helpful. They are not divine weapons that demolish strongholds. Some of you have been bringing a knife to a gunfight. No, no, no. You're bringing a toothpick to a gunfight. As if our worldly weapons are enough to fight a spiritual war. The Bible says we do not wage war as the world does. On the contrary, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So what are they? On the podcast this season, we're going to dive deep into these divine weapons, our spiritual weapons. But before we dig into the specifics of each weapon, we need to first understand what it looks like to live in the spirit and not by flesh. If you grew up in the church, you've heard this cliche so many times before, but do you actually know what it looks like to practically live by the spirit, to think by the spirit? I'm sure you know the story of David and Goliath. Not one soldier of Israel would face this behemoth of a man, Goliath. 
whom the Bible says was nine feet, nine inches tall, not one soldier would face him. He was too big, too scary, too lethal. In fact, the fight against him was so unfair that the Philistines were willing to wager everything on that one fight. In his taunting rants, Goliath says to the armies of Israel, Choose one of your men to fight me, and if he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. This fight was so unfair, even if it was against Israel's best warrior, that the Philistines were willing to risk it all. And then here comes David, a shepherd boy. He's around 13, 14 years old. Goliath's armor weighed 125 pounds, which means it's likely that his armor alone weighed about as much as David himself. But what does David believe? Because it's our beliefs that fuel our actions. David, probably less than five feet tall or so, hears the taunts of the giant, the mockery of God, and the righteous anger bubbles up inside of him. He believes so deeply in the sanctity of God and his holy reputation that he marches into a one-to-one battle with the giant in full confidence that God would deliver him the victory. He didn't make a pros and cons list. He didn't go down mental rabbit holes of all the what-if scenarios. In fact, the only thing he did was refer to the past victories the Lord had given him against wild foes out in the sheep fields. And he just marched right up to King Saul and said, let me do this. God's got me. And when King Saul tried to put his royal armor on David, David quickly realized it was actually just going to slow him down. He said, no, I don't need this protection. God's got me. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And here is where David explains to you and I how to fight the right fight, how to see the spiritual battle and not the physical circumstances. As Goliath mocks David, saying he's nothing but a stick, David responds with, You come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. Today, the Lord will hand you over to me. If David had been living in the flesh, living by the carnal mind, he would have seen a 10-foot-tall monster that could snap him like a twig, like a stick. (laughs) If David had been living by the flesh, by the reality of his circumstances, he would have known without any doubt that he could not win this fight, that nothing and no one could defeat such an evil and opposing foe. And yet David did not do that. He did not allow his circumstances to dictate his feelings. He did not allow the blatant in-his-face realities to dictate his belief. David lived by the spirit. He knew in the spiritual realm, the giant was nothing to God. He knew that in the spiritual realm, these circumstances meant nothing. He knew that God would not be mocked. And he, quote, ran quickly to the battle line, end quote, knowing that God would prevail. And prevail he did. One stone, one little stone is all it took. One little rock between the eyes and the giant fell. But it didn't stop there. And Sunday school did us wrong by not telling us the whole story. Because while David believed in God's sovereignty and he knew in his heart that the battle was the Lord's, he also took action. 
After that one little rock knocked Goliath to the ground, David went and grabbed the giant's own sword. And while Goliath was stunned, David cut his head off. Y'all, we need to believe in God's sovereignty and we also need to finish strong. So David went into battle without a sword. In other words, you can go into this battle without the weapons of the world. The counseling, the you need to meet my needs to argument, all of it. But instead, with the divine weapons Paul talked about earlier, we will see victory. In that passage from 2 Corinthians 10, Paul actually goes on in the next verse, verse 5, to say, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. But how can you take a thought captive, you know, like a prisoner of war, as it states here, if you don't know what side of the battle it's from? If David had embraced the fear of the soldiers around him, or the taunts of the mocking ginormous warrior in front of him, or the fear of the naysayers who were worried for him, he would not have had the courage to, quote, run quickly to the battle line. He would have been stopped by the plaguing fears. He would have lost sight of the spiritual realm's truth that God is the God of armies, that God is the one who decides who rises and who falls. He would have lost sight of the truths in his past, the many times that God had delivered him from evil, and he would have cowered in all that fear. If he had accepted the earthly weapons, the king's personal armor, presumably the best of the best armor they had, he would not have been able to run quickly to the battle line. If he had dragged a heavy sword to the battle, perhaps the people around him would have thought in the natural that he had a better chance of winning. At least he had a sword, right? But he would not have had the freedom to throw that one little rock. Do you hear what I'm saying here? The world is going to tell you to fight the fight one way to tell you that the weapons for saving a marriage are found in man's intellect. They're going to say that a marriage is only saved if both spouses are willing to try. But show me where that lines up with scripture. Show me where Jesus says that we only need to forgive our enemies who are not our husband. (laughs) Show me where it says that man's will overpowers God's sovereignty. Because I... See Proverbs 16, 9, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. I see Job 42, 2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I see Acts 4, 27 to 28, for truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So like everyone is against it to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. David ran quickly to battle with the full confidence that God would deliver him come what may. He wasn't afraid He didn't even give himself time to be afraid. He ran quickly to battle. We must stop lingering in the natural realm, allowing all the fear, doubt, and lies of the enemy to consume our thoughts, not taking them captive, 
not protecting our minds. We need to stop watching rom-coms, reading chiclet, drinking too much wine, all the other things we do to escape the reality of our situation. And instead, we need to run quickly to battle. In this season of the podcast, we're going to dig into every one of our, quote, divine weapons. Whether people like it or not, we are all engaged in spiritual warfare. Many Christians like to pretend it doesn't exist, much to their demise, but the wise wife understands that spiritual warfare is real, more real than the circumstances they can see with their natural eyes. If David had lived in the natural, if he had gone toe-to-toe with Goliath using the world's weapons, he would have taken blows. In fact, he would have taken lethal blows, and his future as king would have been over before it even started. Some of you are taking blows. You're going toe-to-toe with the enemy, the enemy of your soul, using the world's weapons. You're fighting on his turf and under his logic, and you're getting pummeled. You're bloody, broken, one step from defeat. You're not using the divine weapons you've been given through the blood of Christ. And that is going to end today. I believe it. Lay down the world's weapons. And in faith, believe that God's weapons are all you need. Believe that love truly does conquer evil. Believe that the logic of the world is not going to bring down the divine strongholds that are sabotaging your marriage and your heart. As we go into this season of learning our divine weapons and deploying them into our specific situations, I pray that you will run quickly to battle knowing full well that God is in control, that he is sovereign over all, even an unbelieving spouse, even a hard-hearted husband, and even a marriage that the world says is dead and over. Thanks for tuning in to the Wise Wife Podcast. Go to wisewifeblueprint.com and download your free battle strategy. These are the five things you must do if you want to see breakthrough in your marriage. And remember... It takes two to save a marriage, you and Jesus.